Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome to the Huddle Wisdom Podcast. And welcome to 2023. My name is Dr. Devin Tan. I'm a child and youth forensic psychiatrist and the host of the show. On this show, we talk about ways that you can be kinder, stronger, smarter, wiser, to get ahead in life, but also, and perhaps more importantly, how you can serve others and help your own children to get ahead as well by helping others along with you. If you help others get ahead, you will also follow suit, believe it or not. How are you all today? I hope you're doing well. It's a new year and frankly, I am excited for what lies ahead. I know that lots of people aren't so excited and um, perhaps that's for reasons that are totally outside of their control. So I count my blessings and consider myself very lucky in many ways. It's certainly a privilege to be able to spend time with you today also in addition to all the other privileges that I've been blessed with in my life thus far. This time I'm hailing from my hometown in Kuching in the fair state of Sarawak, uh, which in my opinion forms part of the most elegant side of Malaysia, true Malaysia in my view. Uh, It's next to Sabah in my humble opinion. Sabah, Sarawak forms uh, part of Malaysia. We are East Malaysia um, and um, I consider myself a true Borneo knight. Uh, I was yeah, a la- I was last here about 15 years ago and um, I'll talk more about that soon. But the topic of today's episode Um, By the way, I apologize that I'm a day late. I'm supposed to be... uh, I I had intended to to do do an episode on the 1st of January 2023 in order to usher in the new year, but I'm sure that there have been hundreds and thousands of others who have done the same, so... I thought I would be different and do it on the second. Um, but actually, no, uh, in all honesty, I, I just missed the boat. <laughs> um, anyway, this episode, I think, is going to help you become more influential um, because uh, I want you to be able to guide your children with much less stress and much less reactance and resistance because don't you want to be able to guide your kids with less resistance don't you want less stress in your life i certainly do don't you want to be more effective as a leader don't you want to be a leader that people actually like uh well i mean if you don't you you could probably go listen to Britney Spears or something like that on on, on Spotify. <clears throat> on this podcast, I talk about uh, mental models and frameworks that you can adapt to your life and use right away. Uh, I give it away freely as a labor of love and also a way for me to process my own um, musings, my own thinking, my own thoughts about life and uh, how we connect with one another on this planet Um, so that we can live more fully, more freely uh, and with more togetherness. 
By the way, I also have to add that uh, all the things that I say on this podcast are my opinion and uh, should not be construed as medical or psychiatric advice. I'm not your psychiatrist or your doctor. If you need advice, go and consult with your own healthcare professional. So, you know, why am I doing this? Well, uh, I'm, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not one for uh, resolutions usually. Um, uh, mainly the goal I set, um, mainly, mainly the, <laughs> maybe because the goals I set, I set in the past uh, could have been way too complex and, um, you know, the, the goalposts always seem to move move away the closer I get or the closer I think I get to uh, a, a, achieving uh, the goal that I had um, thought I would try and reach um, you know some circumstances seem to just just pull the rug from under me and it, it's very difficult to reach the um, or, or complete the resolution that I had set for myself earlier so I got lazy I think um, <laughs> or maybe I pretend I, I never set them in the first place so I don't have to look like a loser. So kiasu, as they say, uh, at home. Or maybe that's a Singaporean thing. I don't know, same difference, right? <clears throat> All the same people. This year I'm going to publicly commit to setting one resolution. I think if we publicly commit, you know, in front of people, publicly, uh, it's perhaps, <clears throat> well, I believe, more likely that um, you will achieve or set out to achieve whatever it is that you have resolved to do. Because the embarrassment of not achieving that uh, is uh, an incentive, at least for me anyway. Um... And that one resolution that I intend to set is not to set resolutions at all. Just joking, just joking. I want to focus on helping as many of my friends, that is you, to become more impactful in your own particular sphere of influence and to master the dark arts of influence. <laughs> <laughs> Before I go on, I simply have to tell you about my my trip here. Don't worry, uh, it's not like you know your uncle's PowerPoint presentation of lots of boring pictures of people you don't know and um, random shots of uh, poorly lighted rooms and. Uh, food that just looks terrible um, recent trip to Hawaii anyway having said that if you're bored switch off or fast forward or you know go and listen to Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera or whatever floats your boat or just fast forward to the actual teaching stuff which I think you'll find edifying I hope you allow me this little intellectual indulgence it's something I've been thinking about this week since uh, I arrived here in Kuching um, in the um, last week of uh, 2022. And, um, you know, I feel blessed that I'm here in 2023 in Kuching in my hometown making a, an important resolution, important resolution to me. Um, Although I, I must say, I, I do miss my family dearly who are over in New Zealand. Um, I talk to them every day. Uh, I miss them. I love them. I miss them. Um, I wish they were here with me. Uh, yeah. And um, actually, I, I resolved to bring them here. That's my second resolution, actually. Second resolve to bring them here in a few years when they are old enough to appreciate this place as do I um, okay anyway I'm going to um, in, indulge myself uh, and if you don't like it um, that's fine 
because it's my show and I'm going to do it anyway. <clears throat> Alright, anyway, being back in Kuching has been curiously wonderful. Uh, it's been such a long time and I don't often think about Kuching uh, when I'm back home in New Zealand, but uh, actually the concept of home is interesting, isn't it? Where is home? Home is where the heart is. Uh, my heart is with my family, so that's my home. But um, I don't know. I um, I also feel drawn towards aspects, or maybe maybe I have this romanticized, um, idealized um, image of. Kuching at the moment. Uh, I didn't always have this. Um, this has only happened in the last week, which is very strange. Anyway, I'll talk about it. Memory is strangest at its most distant. You know, for a long time I've been disconnected, um, emotionally disconnected, intellectually disconnected, spiritually, philosophically, um, politically disconnected from all aspects of Malaysian life, uh, Kuching life. Um, and returning to my hometown in Kuching and reoccupying physical spaces that I recall from childhood has been oddly positive. And it's also induced some unexpected emotions. Uh, is it wistfulness? I don't know. It's been about 15 years, as I said, since I last was here. And, um, you know, for some reason it feels more familiar now. I appear to find myself reconnecting with aspects of my past, like an archaeologist that, you know, goes through an ancient site, you know, and gets excited when they find something that is so old but so meaningful. Um, you know, I think about like a... Um, a museum curator with antiques, you know, treasures, weathered relics from the old days. Um, uh, before I arrived here, I had anticipated something of a neutral emotional response on this visit, but the emotional valence has been overwhelmingly uh, positive and certainly has altered how I now view certain memories as I, re uh, as I revisit them. Sorry. Um, it, it's, it's sort of like visiting an old house that's been freshly renovated. You know, the bones of the past are, st are still there, they still remain, but, you know, they're fleshed out with something quite new. Um, it's fascinating how this reflection's come to me, uh, sitting in this really cool cafe called Namju, N-A-M-J-O-O. -O. It's a cafe come antique studio, I believe. Uh, at least that's what they just put in the about page on Facebook. It was previously a grocery store originally operating in the 1930s. Um, I'd love to interview the owner actually. They, they do a mean ramen dish, very spicy. The, uh, the lady at the counter recommended a milder version uh, of the, um, the normal uh, spicy version because it was too, too spicy for her. And uh, I'm glad I went with her, with her recommendation because even the, the mild version was quite, quite spicy. Um, and the iced coffee, man, very good coffee, Sarawakian coffee, I believe. A uh, great place to sit and contemplate in the quiet humming energy that is Namju. Five stars in my in my book. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put the link to their Facebook page below in the show notes if you're interested. But yeah, highly recommended. It's very interesting actually. Like you know, it's you know, as you walk through Kuching Town, uh, walking through India Street and Carpenter Street, there's all this new development and. Um, in the streets, not as I remember it, but um, uh, you know, it's now a pedestrian walkway. 
But Carpenter Street is fascinating because um, in this China Road as well in Main Bazaar, um, there are all these derelict looking shop, shop houses. Um, and, and, you know, they, they're, not, they're not very well maintained on, on the surface. But inside, there's so much history and character. And I'm pleased that the people who um, revamped Namju did just that. You know, they, um, um, yeah, I, I like new takes on old classics. Um, but they've, they've kept the integrity of the old classic, so to speak. Um, and it's a really, anyway, it's an amazing spot to go and visit. I, I recommend it. Check it out. Okay, so how and where, how and where you were raised plays a really important role in um, shaping your philosophy of social engagement. So how you influence and lead others as well um, is, I think, very, very much stems from your, uh, your upbringing and um, your culture, uh, the environment in which you were raised. But that's not immutable and it can be further shaped through experience, mentorship, and self-reflection, uh, which I believe is, is the basis for personal growth. Um, so how should we start to become more influential? I think um, you start by asking yourself, how can I change myself so that I can be a more effective leader? How can I serve my fellow man or, or woman? Um, firstly, well, you, you know, you can't until you become trustworthy enough for people to allow themselves to accept what you say, or at least hear you out, right? If, if they don't like you, how are they going to, <laughs> how are you going to um, engage with them? Because they're going to switch off if they don't like you. Second, your message, your idea, your instruction must incorporate certain elements so that you can get optimal reach. In reality, you need to have both. You need to have credibility, trustworthiness, and your message or idea of selling point, sales pitch, whatever, your message needs to be compelling. You might think it is compelling, but <laughs> um, I think that's in the eye of the beholder or in the ear of the listener. Um, let's go through a few mental bulwarks that can trip you up if you aren't aware of them. Now, before I do that, I must say, this has to be an ongoing conversation and I cannot expect you to get this stuff in one episode and I hope you're not expecting me to give it all to you in one episode because I can't, I can't. But I'll try to unpack as much as I can in a way that is coherent, I hope and we can continue this conversation throughout 2023. Right, so the first thing is, um, the first bulwark or barrier um, um, is this idea of likability. If the person doesn't like you, you are in peril. Um, how are you going to help someone if they don't like you <laughs> and they're not going to listen to you? You know, you might be um, the only game in town, but 
if your prospect doesn't like you, you might have to play hardball. But is that how you really want to live your life or how you want to conduct your business? I think about um, my time um, working in forensic hospitals um, when I had to, unfortunately, um, be an agent of oppression. Uh, you know, people with serious mental illness, um, and uh, because of their serious mental illness, it might increase their risk of doing harm to themselves or others. Um, I've had to restrict people's autonomy um, by law, by the way. I, I had legal um, provision to do that. Um, especially, you know, when it comes to encouraging them to take medication that they did not want to take. I had to find a way to make myself likable because I discovered, and no surprise, that the conversation um, or the invitation for them to take medication it was much more likely to be accepted if they liked me. But the interesting thing was, <clears throat> um, I, I didn't have to put in a, a great deal of effort to, to, to achieve those ends. And the secret was, um, if I could find something that I liked in someone, and really honed in on that thing. Show interest, uh, be, be really engaged in that part of someone that I really liked and appreciated. It has this disarming effect that is like magic. It really can be like magic and and the defenses come down and they start to like you. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but yes, it's not easy. It takes practice, you know, it takes a lot of emotional discipline, um, especially when they, you know, at, at first swearing at you and making threats and that sort of stuff. You have to, you have, to have some thick skin in that environment but um, focus on something that you really like about another person. Being liked is a survival skill. It's essential to survival, in my view. Uh, but it's just one skill. Uh, if, when someone knows that they are liked by you, they will look more favorably upon you. Yes, <clears throat> some people, thank goodness it's not all that common or not as common as you think it is. Um, it, it, some people think that if, if, uh, if they think you like them, they might take advantage of you. But that's not always the case because if they truly like you, they won't necessarily take advantage of you. Anyway, um, I know it's not as simple as that, but I'm trying to summarize a rather complex um, construct into very simple terms. I'm sorry if it's overly simplistic. Uh, it doesn't um, account for exceptions, right? Uh, but you know, I, the um, but if, if you can focus in on something that you appreciate about someone and really, really show that you appreciate that, you increase the chance that they will like you back, or at least um, you increase the um, likelihood that you'll be liked, which increases the chance that they will listen to you more. The next barriers are, are maybe for parents, for people that have children, you know, you're looking after kids and 
you're tearing your hair out, you don't know what to do because they're not listening to you. <clears throat> when you're trying to give them instructions. Okay, here are a couple things. There's this idea called uh, um, a single option aversion. You know when you give your child uh, an option to do something, you know, like, can you, uh, I'd like you to go and um, get changed for, for bed. All right, uh, and then they refuse and you have this battle with them to, to get changed. It's such a simple thing, <clears throat> right? But it's not so simple because uh, a single option uh, to reject or accept, you know, we, we assign a lot of risk to any decision when there is just one option in a set. And we deliberate, we spend a lot of time <laughs> you know, thinking about pros and cons of that one option and it can paralyze us. Uh, the, um, the brain has a hard time determining um, the value of an option when there is no alternative choice to compare it to. Um, so the idea is to give them a range of options, but not too many because the next barrier we come across is um, this thing called asymmetric dominance um, bias. If options that you provide a child looks too different, or you can either go get changed, or you can go and play, <laughs> or you can go and um, read a book. Uh, that's not a great example. The brain can only. Um, analyze selections that um, what am I trying to say the the <laughs> what am I trying to say here oh my gosh the the brain can't <clears throat> analyze selections that aren't alike very well um, so you're going to get into this, into the same problem that you had when you presented just one single option. Um, you know, you're going to get indecision paralysis. Um, uh, if you think about, um, let's say, okay, so. <clears throat> You, you go to a shop and the shopkeeper there offers you um, a shirt uh, for $50 or pants for $50. Which do you choose if you only have $50 to spend, right? You go through the pros and cons of each option. You frustrate the shopkeeper because you're just standing there, looking vacant, spaced out, imagining all the situations where you might wear that shirt. What pants go with that? What pants in your wardrobe at home do you have that goes with that? And then vice versa for the pants. You know, and then at the end you just walk out and you you go to the <laughs> You know, you go to Walmart or Target where you can buy shirt and pants for $50 together. It's much cheaper, but, you know, maybe not as good quality. <clears throat> the good shopkeepers um, will, um, will somehow be able to guide you towards buying either the shirt or the pants by offering you an inferior option relative to either of those choices. So for example, um, they might um, anchor the shirt that they presented to you first, the $50 shirt, and then they might offer you a crappier shirt, um, which is actually a decoy. Uh, and then they, they show you the pants, you know, $50 pants, Nice pants, but, you know, still pretty expensive. <clears throat> you're, 
you're more likely to go for the $50 shirt in this option because you're able to um, compare uh, two similar options, the two shirts, the real shirt that they want you to buy and the decoy. Uh, um, I can't think of another example right off the top of my head, but I will do my best to. Um, maybe I'll think about it later on. <clears throat> but, you know, like, it's like go brush your teeth or um, go and get changed. Um, or I could say go and get changed um, now or you can go and get changed in the next couple of minutes. Um, it's more likely for my kids to do the latter, which is to go get changed in the next couple of minutes, which is what I wanted them to do first, rather than brush their teeth first. But if I said go get changed or go brush your teeth, this is asymmetric dominance uh, effect. I mean, it's not a great term to use because it's, counter it's not very intuitive. But this is this asymmetry of choice. Um, those two options look so different that they can't they, they, they can't analyze the selections. They can't go through the pros and cons of each. It's just too much for them. So you offer a decoy <clears throat> um, at an inferior option relative to either of the choices that uh, you most want them to make. It's a little trick, a little parenting trick for you there. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it, I think it's, it goes one uh, above the single option um, and it's much more effective. All right. Uh, what else can I tell you? What else can I tell you? <clears throat> ah, related to the, um, this idea of uh, reactance, this, this sort of tendency to keep things the same. It's what humans like. We like to keep things the same. We have a, a need for sameness. Some people are more rigid with that. Uh, but sometimes when we hear an instruction, we, we want to uh, react against that. We want to rebel. Um, because when we perceive that our ability to freely choose is being restricted by another person, even if that person has our best interest at heart, we as humans tend to rebel against that. You see this in kids all the time. Um, uh, but... Um, you know, what, what I do is, um, you know, I, I, I say at the end of the instruction sometimes, um, once I give them the, you know, asymmetric choice with a decoy, I follow that up with, oh, you know, I invite you to, to make this choice. It's up to you. It's a great offer. You can participate if, in it if you want. But uh, if you don't, this is what's going to happen next. Um, you know, incre that increases your likelihood of compliance. Um, and it gets, you, gets people away from uh, wanting to maintain the status quo because you've given them a compelling reason to change the status quo. Problem is that people don't recognize that they have an issue um, because they are part of the system that caused that issue or sustained a problem. So sometimes we need to describe a problem to them uh, before we give them an option so that they have context around why you're issuing an instruction. So, um, my dear, it's getting really late. It's 11 p.m. You have school the next day. You need to go and get changed and go to sleep because if you don't, you're not going to get enough sleep. And tomorrow, we're going to have this horrible argument um, about getting up and, and going to school because 
you know, you, you slept late the night before. This, actually, this reminds me of a Jerry Seinfeld skit um, uh, when he said, you know, nighttime Jerry doesn't care about morning time Jerry. So, you know, F you, morning time Jerry, I'm going to stay up and do as, you know, watch TV, I'm going to eat snacks, I'm going to drink beer, I'm going to do as much as I can to stay up late because it's fun. Because I'm nighttime Jerry, you know, I'm not morning time Jerry. Anyway, <clears throat> morning time Jerry then wakes up and he, he says, F you, nighttime Jerry, you know, I am feeling awful now. Why didn't you go to sleep early? We need to describe the problem to our kids or the person that we're trying to influence. They need to describe the context. They need to understand the, um, the context and the scope of the pain that they're going to endure or suffer through if they don't make a choice or they don't uh, hear you out. Because why should they hear you out? Well, they should because um, if they don't, then they're going to have a problem, a much bigger problem to grapple with the next day. You have to describe a problem, the context to them, the pain that they're going to go through if they don't listen to you. You need to generate some urgency around a choice or an option. Um, but don't be a dick about it. Remember, likability. Likability. Empathy. Okay? Don't be a dick. Offer options. Um, offer decoys. Offer context. Allow them to think through the consequences. Do that with patience, love, kindness. Empathy. Don't be a dick. <clears throat> All right. Uh, oh, man, it's a lot to it, isn't it? Remember, um, don't be a dick. <laughs> Trust makes decisions safer for people. The more that people trust you, uh, their perception of risk, the, their perception of something bad happening if they listen to you decreases. And it increases the likelihood that you will be able to communicate your ideas, your statements, your instructions, the choices that you want them to make. And increases the chance that they'll listen to that. So how do you increase trust? Well, you have to first demonstrate that you're not a dick. Maybe that should be a podcast for next time. How not to be a dick. Part of that is your ability to monitor the emotions of another person. Now, I say this because emotions um, are really vital to human experience. It is so important. And it's something that a lot of people prefer to avoid or ignore. But you can't ignore it. Emotions are used to assign value to things. Uh, and they mark something as salient or irrelevant. It's absolutely game-changing if you can learn to track another person's emotional states because that will help you to guide them better if you can pick up on their emotional states. Emotional states are like signals. Signals. There's a lot of non-verbal communication that happens between people. You know, Words are just words, but there are also hidden messages within words and around words through nonverbal communication. Sometimes you might encounter teenagers who don't say anything and they look belligerent. Well, they're still communicating a lot of information to you, even though they're not using words, right? Believe it or not, um, you can use their nonverbal communication to communicate with them. That's a topic for another day. But what I'm trying to say is that emotional states are worth tracking because they give you a lot of salient information. In a nutshell, positive emotion increases uh, 
um, many things like the likelihood of someone liking you, someone listening to you. Um, it also increases their comprehension of what you're saying. It makes it more likely for them to pay attention to what you're saying and it increases their capacity to make good decisions, makes them receptive to persuasion. Negative emotion increases cynicism. You see this all the time. You see this all the time. <clears throat> so you have to continuously monitor another person's emotional state so you can adjust and adapt your approach to them. You don't want to keep blabbering on if you notice negative emotional states because their nonverbal communication tells you that they hate you. They don't like you, okay? They're turned away from you. They're rolling their eyes, right? Crossing their arms, crossing their feet, right? They're closed off. <clears throat> They're grunting at you. They don't like you. So stop, 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 <laughs> stop trying to preach to them. Stop it. And stop telling them to change their attitude because that's just going to make them not like you even more. Validate them. Man, this... Uh, I'm talking too much, aren't I? Um, sorry, I apologize. Um, if I was you, I would also be crossing my arms and rolling my eyes. Sorry, so sorry. Um, I'm behaving like a real jerk right now. Sorry, sorry. I'll shut up. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to be able to talk to you. Um, I invite you to um, to hear me out. Much better approach, right? Validation, empathy, kindness. <clears throat> you notice them, you hear them, you see them, you understand them. Continually monitoring emotion states is a vital aspect of becoming influential because you can shift a person's emotional state only if you notice it. But you must learn to see. Nonverbal communication like, you know, gestures, tone of voice, rate of speech, posture, affect, the distance between a person, physical distance, touch, eye contact or lack of. Like I said before, people may restrain their words, but it's very hard for them to restrain non-verbal communication. Train yourself to notice these things and point them out. But point them out sensitively with kindness. Validate. Nonverbal communication can be associated with both positive and emotional states. Learn to see both. Learn to recognize nonverbal communication in the context of positive emotional states and negative emotional states because this will help you to build up a repository of information that you can then use in future interactions with your children and with other people. So the next thing is how do you shift emotional states? How do you shift emotional states to increase engagement with another person? <clears throat> first of all, um, first of all, you, you have to be aware of a negative emotional state. Typically, people will suppress it if you point that out. Oh, you're crossing your arms. Um, does that mean you're kind of feeling a bit upset with me at the moment? Usually people will say, nah. Nah, if they're a teenager, they'll just shoot you down. Nah. Nah, I'm not upset. Uh, you kind of look upset. <clears throat> nah, I'm not. That's okay. That's all right. Uh, be compassionate. Remain compassionate. But you're already starting to win if you point out nonverbal communication and and validate the fact that um, they are, you know, they may not be um, wanting to hear you out because they are upset with you. Um, it does change the emotional valence somewhat. Not by a lot, but enough to at least help them to hear you a little bit more. Remember <clears throat> um, that you need to track the emotional states. 
if they project a positive emotion, um, you're really winning. You know, they they're going to also mirror uh, your nonverbal communication. So. Mirroring is this uh, strange thing that happens between human beings um, where another person adopts the posture of another person. It, it, you know, like when you yawn, um, the person next to you might start yawning as well. You know, there are these mirror neurons that we have that engages itself because, because we all like to be liked. We all like to be alike because it's survival. Um, some people suppress that, some people repress that, and for good reason as well. But um, use mirroring to your advantage. You can evoke and change positive, em uh, sorry, emotional states through your eyes, through your physical expression, your smile, voice inflection. If you exude kindness in front of a belligerent teenager, they might stay closed off physically but the longer that you stay with it, the longer that you can remain with them and not be put off by that, you've recognized that they're not having a good time. Recognize that. Man, I'm so sorry, you're not having a good time. I, it sucks for you. I, oh man, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> the fact that, um, you know, you're, you're still here is, is amazing. Thank you for being here, even though, you know, you... Uh, it, it's, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, you seem to be um, closed off, and that's okay. Please, please stay closed off. It's, it's okay. You need, you know, you need, you need to uh, protect yourself from someone like me who's just... I'm still talking, aren't I? I'm sorry. I talk too much. <clears throat> you know, th this approach this validation, this off offer of, of, of empathy, of sympathy, um, only works when you're able to actually like the person in front of you. I like this teenager in front of me, even though he's crossing his arms and showing me some belligerence. I like his fortitude. His fortitude, he's standing his ground. You know, and that comes across in your communications with another person. It's going to be different if I say exactly the same words I said before, but I hate this person, right? So, okay, here we go. I'm sorry that you're here listening to me. I talk too much, don't I? You know, it's fine. You just stay there, cross your arms, it's fine. It's different when I say it like this. Man, um, I can see that you're crossing your arms. Um, I wonder if that means, you know, you're kind of fed up with the way I'm talking to you right now. That's okay. You know, you can, yeah, f feel free to, to stay put or not stay put. Um, right, it's so different, so different. The fact that I like this person in front of me changes the tone of voice my inflection, my vocal inflection changes. And if you can see my face right now, I'm smiling. I'm evoking a positive emotion. I'm going to take advantage of um, this uh, design feature that is available to us if we want to exploit that, this idea of mirroring. Okay, because eventually I know I'm going to break this teenager down. I've done it thousands of times. But it takes time, it takes patience. It becomes easier to be patient if you like the person in front of you. So find something to like. Number one rule. It, it sort of, it, it's, it's helped me out so much. Okay, that's probably all the time that we have for today. But I hope that gives you enough to go with for now. Um, you know, if you want to know more, just, just go to the website, huddlewisdom.com. You don't have to, but I encourage you, you to, invite you. Um, if this is the first time you're hearing me, how do you know that you can trust me, right? 
Um, so just keep listening to the podcast. Just listen to a few more episodes from the past and see if you like it. Um, if you do, you know, and if you want to take it further, check out huddlewisdom.com forward slash practice. But that's all the time for, uh, that's all the time that we have for today. Today I'm going to go see some orangutans, um, simyungok, um, and um, yeah, I'm going to hang out with my jungle friends. Uh, but remember, influence is leading with connection. Empathy is critical, but it's not enough. You have to demonstrate credibility, sincerity, generosity, humility. But that's not just being a nice guy. Although I am a nice guy. You have to be ruthless in your commitment to staying true and standing to your principles and ethics. Sincerity, generosity, humility, empathy does not mean that you sacrifice your commitment to your principles and ethics. Okay? You can be strong and humble at the same time. You can be strong and empathic at the same time. It's how I approach my jujitsu, actually. It's a topic for another day. People think I have a very defensive, soft style of jujitsu, but I like to listen with my body first so I can then exploit someone's defenses um, and escape and then uh, move to a better position. Anyway, I digress. Anyway, my friends, I hope that you have a great start to your 2023. I hope you're well. I trust you are well. I trust that you would do well this year. If you make a resolution, great. If you don't, great. Um, I'm so pleased that you spent time with me. By the way, go check out Namju again. Uh, great cafe in Kuching. I'll share the Facebook um, uh, link. And I think they might have an Instagram page too. I don't know if they have an actual website, but go and check it out, Namju. Um, also, go check out huddlewisdom.com forward slash practice. Check it out. Um, there's also a whole ton of free resources on the website. Or just listen to the podcast. I'd be happy to have you. Uh, thank you, my friends. Um, I will see you. Uh, well, sorry. Uh, I will talk to you uh, next time. Happy trails, my friends. Bye.